Hi, Colin. How you doing? I'm good, mate. I'm very good. Um, how are you? Yeah, all right, man. All right. A little it's bit. Uh, on you go. So it's been a mad. It's been, it's been a mad week. Ten days or so, obviously. Um, since we last recorded, um, the the last time we recorded, we had a queen, and now we've got a king. Yes. And um, for the last ten days, it's literally been wall to wall royal coverage, funeral coverage, the queen coverage. It seems like all news. And everything else in the world has stopped. Um, we're recording this on Tuesday night after um, the funeral on Monday. And um, it's, just, it's been one of those weird ones, hasn't it, Jack? Like, for me, you know, you always think, like, where were you? 9-11 happened and stuff like that. I think this will go down as one of those. We're kind of, we've, I, I think you don't often live through history, but I think we've done that in the last 10 weeks, yeah, 10, day, 10 days or so. See, I, I don't know. Like, nowadays it's kind of like everybody's story will be, I read it on Twitter. Or I seen it on Twitter. I was I was sitting in the house and it just sort of popped up on Twitter that the Queen was on well. I went down the stairs and said to Karen, "I think the Queen's on her way out." Type thing. Whereas, like we didn't have Twitter. Like nine eleven, I was at the bowling club. I remember being off school. There's a whole sort of story to it. I was kids yeah. on it. I wasn't well. They went up to the bowling club, <laughs> big square telly, like a big massive. It was a massive telly at the time, but it was a big square box, and just going out and telling all the women coming off because they were playing. My ma was playing. So that, that is, whereas, like, it's just, I was in the house and I read it on Twitter. I think that's quite a yeah. good story. Ah, it's that's a quite, good point, actually, I suppose. You know I, mean? I suppose it's just who you were with and who you spoke about first to and all that sort of stuff. But I, <clears> it's a little bit different. It's like, nine eleven. I was working in a hotel in Glasgow and um, I was working in the restaurant and we had a tour, a, like a tour group of American tourists in. So it was fucking bizarre with it all going on in the, in the TVs in the in the bar and all these Americans watching it getting upset and stuff. It was very, very strange. But I, you're right. When the Queen thing came out, I was lying in my bed. So there's, yeah, I was, I was sitting, I was sitting on the computer. Yeah. Aye. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but it's been, yeah, but it's been, it's been interesting just seeing how seeing how the world reacted to it and seeing how the news just kicked in. Like I'd, I'd read about that project, Tower Bridge, years before, about how it was all planned out, how it would happen, and it was it was bizarre seeing it all just happening. Suddenly the newsreader's changing into black and everything else. So, yeah, I think from that point of view, it's just it's another big historic thing that's happened in the days of 24-hour news coverage, and you've seen stuff that in the past was only written about in books in terms of royal funerals and coronation still to come and all that sort of stuff so it's interesting but also sad yeah. but we're not here to talk about that yeah one of the strangest things actually was that the match of the day them sitting in their black suits that was really quite jarring oh um, I didn't even notice that I don't think I saw match in the day so uh, they, they, they still it, kept yeah. that up as well they kept that up as well everybody was sitting in their, their funeral suits basically you know plain black black tie like no colour or nothing like that mm. so it was a little bit that was the one that really sort of <clears throat> was jarring to me with the match of the day stuff but especially especially now that it's so unusual for the match of the day guys to even have a suit on like yeah, quite quite rightly that's became a bit of a nonsense wearing a suit on tv it's just stupid wearing a suit anyway so like you don't like your mika richards is always dressed like he's going to the dancing never <laughs> mind like in a suit and stuff like that so yeah that's that probably would be look look strange and weird now actually but like you say we're not here to speak about that we're here to speak about something that i've i'm sure i've listened to this <laughs> a podcast about this at some point. Uh, it's about Hoover, the 
the Hoover Company, basically, the vacuum oh. cleaner company that became so popular that he called a vacuum cleaner a Hoover, basically. Um, there's a term for when that happens, and I can't remember. I can't remember what, what that is, is either. Yeah, well, well we could we could just play the podcast that you've listened to and give ourselves a week off. Yeah, but it's the worst <laughs> the worst sales promotion ever, <laughs> basically. And it was 27 years ago. I, I felt like it was longer than that um, when when the guys were speaking about it in the podcast. But basically, simply put, they offer two free flights uh, with any one hundred pound purchase. And it sort of went down as the worst sales promotion of all time. So it's gone. <laughs> well, no wonder. Like, even like obviously flights back then were nowhere near the same price as they were just now. But even that, like buying some for a hundred quid, and that got you two flights to America plus the item that you bought. <laughs> it's it is bizarre. A very very badly thought out, as we'll find. Yes, the, like, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead. I don't know if I read it in this or if, I'm, if I remember listening to it. I think it actually started as a as a promotion. It was just two flights. You probably get there. I'm probably just jumping ahead. Two flights, like when I say locally, from England to like France or Spain or something, you know, and then it kind of worked all right and they decided to go transatlantic and offered flights to America. Maybe, like I say, maybe I'm jumping ahead a bit, but this was back in 1992. Um, like I say, they offered this really sweet promotion. It wasn't just like a single ticket either. It was a free round trip to the United States. Um, Hoover had been going for 84 years at the time, obviously an electronics brand, sort of most famous for their vacuum cleaners. It was meant to be basically this. An eye-catching way to boost dwindling sales at the time and escape uh, the recession that was going on. But it basically led to the destruction of the company, basically a downfall that saw multi-million, multi-million dollar losses and customer revolts. Basically, people were really, <laughs> really pissed off when they started to not get their free flights or it was like a fucking nightmare to get them. But we'll get to all that, so we will. Yeah, so I mean, you'd probably the right place to go is right back to the start of how this company came about and what they were all about. Mm-hmm. At one point, they were the most trusted brand in England. It all dates back to 1908. You know, I love my history. Yes. Um, and this became a department store janitor, a guy called James Murray Spangler. And kind of unluckily enough for him as a, as a janitor, he had severe dust allergies. <laughs> yeah, a fucker. <laughs> um, so um, he did what any entrepreneurial asthmatic would do. He got a motorised fan motor and he fitted it to a carpet sweeper. And then he went away and filled a patent uh, for the world's first household vacuum cleaner. Um, which is an incredible thing for a, a, a little janitor to do back in 1908. He ended up selling the patent to his cousin's husband, a guy called William Hoover, um, who launched the Hoover Company and began then selling those devices all over America and then into Europe. Um, it was almost a monopoly. Um, Hoover brand was pretty much the only option at that point for vacuum cleaner sales. Um, it became a generic noun, which I think is the phrase you were looking for earlier. Yeah, that'll be it, yep. Um, like Kleenex or Band-Aid or Tannoy, stuff like that, mm-hmm. and just became a synonym for vacuum. And um, its provenance, provenance earned it a reputation as one of the world's most trusted brands. Do you ever remember, have you ever seen pictures of the old Hoovers, like before they were household, but it was like carted around with a horse and cart? Oh, God, no. And it was like... That. I'd say t- twenty foot wide and ten foot high, and you, you literally had to open your front door and get the the Hoover. Like, was a big pole, not pole thing, but like a, a hose thing that you you used in your house. Um, and this guy decided to sort of do that. Like, 
we're, we're, we're going to jump forward um, a bit here. We don't want to do too much history, but by the late 80s, the company uh, was owned by uh, Maytag and it had expanded beyond vacuums and, like we said, literally dominated the British cleaning market. But there was trouble brewing, like we mentioned. There was a recession on the horizon, basically, in Hoover, um, which was a UK-based company, but like I said, a massive presence in the UK. We're starting to face stiff competition from sexy newcomers like Dyson. I hadn't realised that Dyson had been on the go that long. I do vaguely remember when Dyson sort of came onto the market and mums everywhere getting all excited about this new type of vacuum cleaner, like the the bagless vacuum cleaner. Do you ever mind emptying bags in vacuum cleaners? I do remember emptying. Well, I remember, I certainly don't remember me. I remember it being a thing my mum had to do, yeah. Um... I remember how happy she was when she got her first Dyson. Um, I've only ever had Dysons as an adult, like as a as a as a consumer of vacuums. I yeah. must say, I've only ever had Dysons, and they're quite they're quite good. Um, just disconnect that wee thing and empty it straight into the bin. I am. Um, it's funny. I did, I've actually forgot about this until right this minute. I had a horrible, horrible experience just like a couple of weeks ago, emptying the 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 tin or the. The what's it called on the, on the, the Dyson? The fucking bucket, we'll call it. The bucket, I bucket that'll do. The Dyson bucket, um, because um, I accidentally hoovered up a slug. And <laughs> right, okay, so this sticky. Yeah, this slug basically smeared itself all across the bucket. So I went out and mm-hmm. emptied it, and then I had to literally hose down the bucket because it was full of dead slug. Because for some reason. I don't know if it's this hot summer we've had and coming into the end of it and stuff like that. I've found a slug in my house like three separate occasions in the last two months or something like that. I don't know how they're getting in, um, but it's fucking horrible. And Spiders are huge just now as well. And oh, mate. Have you got fruit flies? No, I've not got fruit oh, flies. There's fruit but... flies in my house at the moment and I've heard a lot of people say that there's fruit flies are just everywhere and they're horrible little fuckers, man. We've put all the... I'll say all the fruit. We don't have a lot of fruit. I'm not a massive fruit eater, but we still like the bananas and stuff like that in the fridge to try to get rid of them, man. But they're fucking horrible little creatures. Apparently, if you Manky. put um, coins, copper coins, on your window ledges, it keeps them out. Right. Okay. I've heard. Don't know. Vinegar. Don't know the science. Ah, don't yeah. know from that. But apparently, it does do it. Heard, like, yeah, vinegar been... on bread or leaving a cola bottle with a little bit of juice. In the bottom, it attracts them and then they get stuck in it, basically. Ah, right, okay. No, I've, I've not seen them, but I have seen spiders recently. Huge, big, bastard spiders. And spiders don't generally bother me, but the size of these ones has has bothered me and I've got rid of them. Um, especially, I found a particularly huge one in my bedroom. And normally I'd be quite, oh, it's just a spider, it's not going to do any harm. Because it was in the bedroom, I was like, you can get yourself to fuck. You're not staying in here. <laughs> Uh, back to Hoover, like from eight seventy ninety two, their profits basically halved from one hundred and forty seven million to seventy four million. Like that, I mean, that was a massive company back then, and that is a lot of money. But see, when you think about some of the money that companies are making nowadays, yeah. it just dwindles anyway. But um, half anybody's profits is going to be a kick in the balls, and also it's fifty percent market share in England began to dwindle. So they wanted some like a dramatic daring attention grabbing um thing to get people back on board buying their products and it gets to 1991 Colin it did and uh they were approached by a tiny Jack and this is important a tiny and 
as you can guess, now defunct travel agency <laughs> called JSI Travel. Um, just like Hoover, they were feeling the squeeze of the recession and was looking for a way to offload all the cheap flights that they'd obviously signed up to and agreed to purchase. So they pitched the idea to Hoover, a sales promotion where anyone who spent more than £100 um, on a Hoover product at a qualifying department store would get a, would get two free round-trip tickets to a destination in Europe. Um, on paper, it seemed like a win-win. Hoover would sell its excess inventory and boost its sales. JSI would sell its flights in bulk to Hoover and then handle the bookings. Um, Hoover themselves did know the risks, Jack, because they knew that if everybody who brought who bought a product applied, they'd be in trouble. So they did a few things to make the process of obtaining the flights as annoying and as time-consuming as possible, didn't they? Yeah, so you bought your product for over £100. So I think there was a Hoover on the market at the time that was £119. So everybody was buying the cheapest one that they could. Um, and then they had to keep the receipt, send an application within 14 days of that purchase. Then Hoover would send a registration form. They've got 14 days to then get that back. Then they send a travel voucher. The customers then get 30 days to select three departure, airports, dates, and destination combinations. Hoover did, however, refuse or held the, the right to reject the customer's choices, and then the customer could select three alternatives. So they're basically bouncing back and forward saying, no, we can't do that, we can't do that. So you give them another three alternatives, and then they had the right to reject other three alternatives and select three combinations of its own, basically. So uh, you're not going to Paris, you're going to Dublin for the weekend or whatever. That's what they were trying to, to punt this as. Um, and if they don't work, it was kind of like, oh, tough titties, we, we did offer you flights and, and you've knocked them back, basically. So they were being pretty dickheady <laughs> about it. They really were, promise. when you think about that. And if, if you think about a company now doing a promotion where one of the possibilities at the end is they just say, nah, we're not doing it. <laughs> it's absolutely yeah. mental. Um, they advertised this promotion massively uh, in all the newspapers, obviously back in 1992, your newspapers were selling... 20 times what they're selling now, uh, TV adverts, everything. And the caption, the kind of slogan was, two free flights, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, it worked almost straight away. By late of 1992, the products were flying off the shelves and their sales projections were back on track. But then they made a big mistake. Um, they always say, what is it they say, Jack? Don't, ba- um, don't back down, double down. They doubled down to the max, didn't they? Yeah, they decided to include free tickets to America, basically. And under the new promotion, you didn't have to spend any more money. It was still anything over £100 um, would get you two round-trip flights to, listen, there's two good places, (laughs) New York or Orlando, basically. So it wasn't like they were sending you to fucking Tennessee. They were sending you to, like, the two big places in America. And that was a package at the time that was worth about 600 quid, which is probably about double nowadays. You're probably talking 12, 1500 quid to get the return flights to there. So, what would you pay to flights for flights, roughly? Um, for a single, but it was just one person. So. If, if you book it on, if you book it early enough, you can sometimes get 500, but more right. recently, you're looking at eight, 900 pound a flight. Right. So. Okay. So, maybe yeah. about 30% more. Um, and if you leave it sort of last minute, you're probably paying near a £1,200. So um, they, they ran this plan, like this is risk management. I've done risk management at university. So there were risk managers involved like that and they ran it past the risk managers and the risk manager said, look, it's going to be a fucking disaster. It, there's no way that this is going to work for you. It, it, it makes no logical sense. Um, a guy called Mark Kimball was one of the consultants and he says, I looked at the details of the promotion and 
attempted to calculate how it would actually work and had declined to even offer risk management coverage. So he just went, nah, I can't cover that, man, because it's so fucking ridiculous. But did, um, you, did, they, did they take this guy's advice and, like, the risk, that's what risk managers are paid for, right? I've never done risk management as a job, but it's really it's a really hard sell for, for a lot of companies because you're paying for something that might never happen. You know, it's, yeah. it's hard. Like, oh, let's try and negate something that might never happen so people just ignore it, basically. And that's what they've done with this guy. Um, just ignored um, his advice completely. And that's that is what they did, and uh, they decided to proceed, and they did this because they made two, albeit now fatal, assumptions <laughs> that only a small fraction of purchasers would actually be able to jump through the hoops necessary to redeem the flights, and customers would spend more than the £100 minimum, and therefore offset the cost. Um, nope. Initially, things did go according to plan. Uh, department stores all over the UK became an uncivilised scene as thousands of people clamoured to buy the cheapest Hoover products they could find. Um, in the middle of a recession, shops were selling out of the 1999 vacuum cleaner and Hoover had to put its factories onto seven-day overtime shifts to keep up with the demand. So that's a disaster as well, because you think that's a good thing, but it's not if you're having to do seven days constant overtime to your staff. That's coming out your bottom line as well, isn't it? Well, that's it, that's it. Like, the Observer which is a paper here in the United Kingdom, um, basically said, look, the, the world has gone absolutely uh, mad, and it's the fault of Hoover, basically, uh, a month into this promotion. And I think uh, one of the, not headlines, but it basically said, if left uncontrolled, Britain could soon be knee-deep in Hoover Turbo Master uprights. <laughs> what a <laughs> terrible have... name for a product, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> it's, 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 in 1982, that probably sounded cool as fuck, but the Hoover Turbo Master upright. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so 90s, isn't it? It sounds it's like a so sex 90s. toy. Like, it does, yeah. Um, but uh, paying customers soon found that this deal was a bit of an illusion, really. Um, they didn't want... They, didn't, they just wanted their tickets, basically, because they were, that's what they were getting offered. And as those free lights entries ballooned, Hoover began to realise that it made a terrible mistake. Sales and entries in the free flight promotion soon outpaced their own projections by 10 times. Um, <laughs> an estimated 300,000 people had bought qualifying products. That meant 600,000 flights that Hoover would potentially have to pay for. And uh, contrary to its projections, customers were not <laughs> spending more than the minimum £100. Uh, the maths was quite concerning. On a sale of a £119 vacuum cleaner, Hoover made a profit of £30. Those two free flights then were worth at least £600. <laughs> that meant that every single customer that bought the Hoover and then did the flight promotion... Hello friends, Colin here. The looks, the charm and the brains behind Drunk Term Memory. Just wanted to pop in and interrupt your listening pleasure to let you know about our Patreon and some changes that we've made to it recently. We've now introduced a £1 tier where you get absolutely hee-haw other than the sense of achievement that could only come from supporting two great guys like myself and Jack. We've also reduced the price of the two top tiers uh, by a pound on each of them just because we appreciate life is a little bit shit just now and uh, if we can make things a little bit better for people then we will. So check us out at patreon.com forward slash wrong term memory and you'll be able to get early access to shows, ad-free, and lots of bonus content. 
cost Hoover 570 quid. Yeah, the company generated around 30 million in sales from the promotion. The cost of the flights was estimated to be over 100 million pounds. Um, Hoover began to do absolutely everything it can to fleece customers out of these free flights, obviously. It claimed thousands of customers had failed to correctly fill out the forms. It wrote back offering flights that departed from airports hundreds of miles away, um, like Ryanair. Uh, <laughs> sent out request forms on Christmas Eve. Um, hoping that mail closures would cause people to miss the 14-day deadline. Bad bastards, man. Horrible bastards, man. <laughs> Customers who'd followed all the rules were told their letters had gone missing in inverted comments, just like, I've never got it. Um, <laughs> or that they had failed to spot some um, deadline buried in the fine print, basically. And this whole idea was to basically dissuade customers um, from going or even trying to do it. Um, one Hoover exec told, like this was an executive basically saying, "Yeah, this is what we've done. Uh, uh, this is how how we handled this unmitigated disaster." Um, it soon became a big news story. Um, people yeah. realised uh, that not a single flight had been granted yet, and thousands of angry customers began to take action. One of them, a guy called Harry Shishi, formed the Hoover Holiday Pressure Group, <laughs> um, a coalition to hold Hoover accountable for what they'd promised. It's well to having more than four thousand members. Uh, which included <laughs> doctors, lawyers, pig farmers, and electricians. Such a um, bizarre, expansive jobs there. Yeah, it really is. Um, Harry Kishu said at the time in a statement, "We don't want blood; we want our tickets." <laughs> um, but things got a bit dramatic, didn't they? Um, in the June of '93, um, he was like so angry guy. that he'd not received his flights. He decided to hold a Hoover delivery van hostage in his driveway in Workington, <laughs> England. Um, it remained blockaded by his horse truck for 13 days until a high court order finally got it released. Yeah, and now they fucked up plenty, right, by saying we didn't get your letters and stuff like that. Now they, they try to pass the buck, pass the blame, basically, um, trying to blame certain executives, trying to blame the airlines, travel agencies they'd partner with, um, and it fired the president of the UK division at the time, along with two other senior marketing executives involved in the promotion, and announced a plan to invest uh, twenty million into a free flights fund, <laughs> a fifth of what it's worth, twenty percent of what it's actually worth. Um, these manoeuvres hardly put a dent in the backlog of unfulfilled offers, basically, which led to complete destruction. Yeah, so by the end of nineteen ninety three, so literally a year on from this <laughs> idea been had in the first place. It was making they, a profit. It was making yeah. seventy four million pounds a year, this company, yeah. remember. Seventy four <laughs> million pounds a year in profits went in a year to twenty three million in losses. Uh, and this is for a company that did three hundred and ninety million in sales, right? I'm not yeah. a business person really. I I, I watch Shark Tank <laughs> and Dragons bad, then, but... right? But <laughs> If you've got a company that's making three hundred and ninety million dollars in sales, you should be in profit. Um, you, but you'd imagine the, so, yeah. this was an appliance that was one of the most trusted names in the UK, and it was now just seen as an absolute disgrace. And the forecasts for the coming years were just getting worse and worse and worse. Uh, millions and millions of dollars of basically debt that we're going to go into. They had a president in the US guy called Gerard Deman, and he told shareholders that eighty percent of the company's debt and issues were attributable to Hoover Europe in this um, this promotion. That's it. So, like, like Hoover was owned by this big company that we mentioned earlier, Maytag, and they were eventually ordered to basically pay out the equivalent of $72 million for flights for 220,000 customers. And even then, another three hundred to 350,000 didn't get the offer. 
So you're talking like half the people, more than half the people that thought they were getting this offer are stuck with a turbo master and no free flights. Um, <laughs> so 1995, Hoover Europe was so fucked um, from the whole ordeal that it was sold off to Italian competitor. Do you remember Candy? Yeah, Liverpool sponsor, weren't they? Yeah, uh, for 106 million um, at a loss of 81 million, basically. The company's market share was, which was once over 50%, went down to 10%, and the public just turned against them, basically. Started to rate their products as the least reliable, and at least six consumer reports, probably one of those big magazines back in the day, like Witch or something Witch, like yeah. that. And Watchdog. Yeah, and there we go, the British royal family that we're speaking about earlier, they've got a royal warrant, basically, which is a mark of recognition on a lot of trusted companies. Uh, they withdrew that from Hoover like that, now he's a fucking user rotten to the core, basically. Um, even worse than that, um, there was a glut <laughs> of unwanted, imagine that, a glut, what a phrase, um, a glut of unwanted, unused second-hand hoovers that were purchased by people and just for probably- the free flights, and they flooded the market, making it impossible for the company to <laughs> offload new ones. Um, oh, that's brilliant, that's karma come back to bite so your ass, man. Um, yeah. Mentioning the name Hoover at any sort of marketing conference um, is rather like shouting Hindenburg at a 1938 <laughs> convention of airship designers. Um, a Guardian reporter wrote in the aftermath of this. Um, here we are nearly three decades later. Um, the blunder is now used in marketing textbooks as a prime example of what can happen when a company falls short on a promise to customers. And uh, Hoover vacuums once the star of every living room in the UK or sat in closets and um, cupboards, just gathering dust. Very ironically, yeah. an absolute, an absolute shambles of a promotion. We'll, we'll look at. I tell you what, we'll, we'll look at some other promotions very quickly. This is probably going to be a little bit of a shorter episode. Um, we've both been busy. Um, like I says, we are not um, professionals at this. Um, our patrons, obviously, um, our top potatoes, and we love that shit that they. Give us a few few spare quid a month, but sometimes life gets on top of you. So um, we will do do another five or ten minutes or so, call and get a wee half hour show out um, for the patrons tonight. Okay, we'll, we'll release it Thursday, I think, publicly. Right. So some other terrible promotions. We'll just do one of these each, right? Um, okay. Let's see if you ever heard of any of these ones. Sunny Co Clothing uh, Bathing Suit Instagram Giveaway. Um, okay. This sounds like quite a recent one, obviously, because it's on Instagram. So we've got a uh, sunny clothing company. Had no idea what response they'd get when they posted an Instagram giveaway involving a red Baywatch-inspired bathing suit that retailed oh. for about $65. Okay. Uh, the California-based company offered a free Pamela swimsuit with one of those um, repost, tag, and share things. Um, the customer was then only responsible for the shipping cost, which was around about $13. It went viral as fuck, but um, within 24 hours, and the post gained over 338,000 likes, and thousands of people reposted the image hoping to snag a free suit. The company frantically, again, tried to change the rules of the giveaway, trying to cap the number of participants, and the internet went absolutely fucking furious at them. On top of that, the company was also inundated with giveaway orders, so it was impossible for them to ship their actual stuff that people were buying in a timely manner as well. Um, and, of course, people went on Facebook, Twitter, blah, 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 
um, and there was campaigns um, saying it was a scam and they were charged the full $65 that, rather than the $13 <laughs> for shipping. And eventually the company refunded the customers, sent out thousands of free swimsuits um, with a massive financial hit. Um, the bottomless giveaway was probably more trouble than it was worth for old sunny cold clothing. What basically. were they thinking, Jack? Like, it's know, got... they, maybe, yeah, they maybe thought they'd get Oh, 100 reposts, 200 reposts, and it just, it boomed. It, it went viral, <laughs> and it fucked them. Yeah. It's got all the elements of a viral post in there, though. Pamela Anderson, Baywatch, red swimsuit. Yeah. It, women are going to buy that swimsuit because they're going to want to look like Pamela Anderson, and guys are going to do it because they want their missus to look like Pamela Anderson. It's <laughs> going to, it was always going to go that way, but yeah, fuck me. Um, Here's one. Um, This was uh, a company called Just For Feet, and uh, an advert they did in Kenya in 1999. Um, so 1999, Just for Feet was an unknown brand. Looking it wasn't in Kenya, business. sorry. Yeah, it was a Super Bowl advert. Oh, I beg your pardon. Yeah, based around Kenya, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, sorry. Um, they were looking to take their business to the next level. Uh, and they created a, a Super Bowl commercial uh, to become the perfect pick-me-up. Uh, but it broke their own kind of ground. The controversial commercial featured a barefooted Kenyan runner fleeing for his life from white paramilitary troops who drug him and forced him into a pair of just-for-feet shoes. <laughs> the backlash of the connotations of this was so bad that just-for-feet uh, just sued its creative agency, Saatchi & Saatchi, um, the business communications uh, for advertising malpractice, and they demanded over $10 million in damages, which I don't even know if $10 million would be close. Like, it's... A fortune to get a Super Bowl advert. It's the most expensive advert on TV. Uh-huh. Um, to get a thirty-second Super Bowl advert, and to fuck that up so badly is horrendous. It's just the whole palomar. I've not watched it. The whole the, the troops chasing them, like the, the just the, the way that they painted Kenya as if people are running about barefoot all the time and stuff like that. It's just like surely somebody went hot hot the bus. That's I don't know how. Th- these things slip in the net sometimes, man. Some of these like awful adverts and promotions, I really don't. Again, it's just people um, ignoring probably expert advice. There was somebody in that just for feet company that went, "I don't, I don't think that's a good idea." <laughs> uh, but if your boss thinks it's a good idea, you can shout at him as much as you want, and if he chooses to ignore you, he chooses to ignore you. Have you ever heard of this one? This was one I thought I would have heard of, um, but we'll, we'll kind of split this up um, because it's quite a long one. Um, have you ever heard of Coca-Cola's Magicans campaign? I have, yes. Right, so you know about this. this. I'd never heard yeah. about this. Which I don't remember it. I'm too young to remember it, but I'm, I'm aware of it. Yeah, so the, the Coca-Cola literally put their money where their mouth was and launched this over-ambitious, ill-fated Magicans campaign back in 1990. And it turns out people don't really like bacteria-laden cash in their soft drinks. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Yeah, the idea behind Magicans was pretty simple. Uh, random amounts of cash. From $1 to $500 were hidden in Coke cans. The cash would pop up when you snapped open your drink. It's the technology that failed the soda giants. Not so much the, the idea, because obviously Walker's done that. You could get a £20 note. Yeah, well, this was different. Um, in order to make the cans that contained money weigh the same as regular cans, they used water to offset the difference. So in about 1% of the cans... There was a compartment that contained the water. It was mixed with chlorine and ammonium sulfate to, to yeah. discourage drinking. And that leaked into the soda. <laughs> of course it did. <laughs> um, the state health authorities took action after an 11-year-old boy drank the full-tasting liquid from one of the prize-winning Coke cans. It was basically a lawsuit waiting to happen. 
and the drinks company issued additional advertisements telling people not to drink the water in the cans. Not what you'd expect to hear when you buy a drink. So here, here we're Coca-Cola. Don't drink what's in our cans. Yeah, don't. Um, customers were not pleased either because they would receive weird, soggy, horrible smelling cash in a drinkable product. It's just actually, it's, it's a good idea, but like they say, the it's the technology that let them down. Yeah, the technology let them down for sure. Um, couple of food ones to wrap us up. Um, these ones are always sort of like you kind of know what's coming here when you hear that Red Lobster's Endless Crab promotion went mm. wrong. Just um, before you use this one, Red Lobster, mate, is the best. Is it lovely? Hi. It's fucking tremendous, honestly. Yeah, I don't think there are any strangers to this sort of all you can eat promotion and sort of regularly have all you can eat shrimp and sort of like unlimited cheddar bay biscuits or whatever. Um, but apparently, people truly can eat a lot because they change endless crab dinner almost bankrupted them, basically. So in 2003, when snow crab prices peaked, uh, Red Lobster launched its Endless Crab Special, which gave customers all-you-can-eat uh, snow crab legs. Have you ever tried them? I have. I've never ordered them myself, but I've been with someone who ordered them, and uh, they would that would be the only thing they ordered from Red Lobster. They loved it. So, yeah, yeah uh, that is their kind of speciality. They, they kind of thought that people would take, like, two plates, basically. Unfortunately, it's America, and many people... It shoveled down three, four, five plates, and the company lost over three point three million dollars in seven weeks. <laughs> uh, unsurprisingly, the the president at the time, a w- woman called Edna Morris, decided to step down um, after making oh, such no. a rip round cunt of it. Yeah. It's not like it's not surprising because it's not like a it's not like a Chinese buffet type thing where you you just sit and right. shovel uh, food into your mouth sort of thing. Right. It's there's a bit of work involved because you get basically the the leg cracker and stuff like that and you have to actually crack the legs and stuff open and you right. pull out the meat yourself and stuff like that so right, you're okay. not just relentlessly eating so you would kind of be able just to keep going and keep going I think. But it's a ridiculous thing to yeah. do because they waited until the price of crabs peaked and then offered down. <laughs> you think yeah. you would, alright, oh, crabs cheap as fuck the day, we'll, we'll offer it now. It just seems a backwards way to do things. That's dead. Ex- that's extortionate. Let's offer it for free. It seems yeah. a bizarre thing to do, and no wonder Edna resigned, basically. Yeah, but they are amazing, and their biscuits are the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. McDonald's um, to wrap it up, then. Yeah, so McDonald's brought out a sandwich called the <laughs> McAfrica, which, which is a funny <laughs> word, actually, when you say it out loud, isn't it, McAfrica? Yeah. Um, this was um, an ill-thought-out thing, because it was done around the time of a famine that left 12 million people starving in Africa in 2002. Mm-hmm. And... McDonald's in Norway decided that was the best time to launch an African-themed sandwich. Um, the McAfrica was a pita-style sandwich based on an authentic African recipe, and it launched just as world leaders planned to visit Johannesburg <laughs> for the Earth Summit. So it was undeniably <laughs> horrible timing. Um, yeah. People were furious and hailed the sandwich as inappropriate and distasteful. Um, protesters from the Norwegian Church Aid swarmed McDonald's and handed out catastrophe crackers. Um, high protein crackers that were given to people in areas stricken with widespread hunger. At first, the company apologised. They allowed collection boxes and fundraising posters in the stores that sold McAfrica, but they refused to take the item off the menu. Um, eventually, yeah. Yeah, eventually, McDonald's unenthusiastically claimed they would consider donating a portion of the sandwich profits, but instead, they just cancelled plans for a larger rollout instead. So I think the plan with this was... If this was successful in Norway, it would end up being a sort of thing they rolled out worldwide in McDonald's. 
and that quickly became a thing they didn't do. Yeah, they people did were not. not loving it. No, they were not. They were not. And I think we'll just wrap it up there, mate, um, with some bad promotions and PR disasters for today. Yes, very much. Speaking about bad promotions and uh, bad PR, um, we we are the opposite. We're very, very good promotions. And um, if you wanted to buy Meat Jack, where, where would you promote? Where would you suggest? Where would I promote? I would promote David Cox Butchers, obviously, with their... I get this wrong all the time. What is the, the mad magic cupboard they've got that makes their <laughs> steak taste so good? The, the magic cupboard is a dry-aged <laughs> fridge, basically, a refrigeration right, okay. unit that dry-ages the meat. Um puts a bit of a, a crust on it you then kind of cut that away and you get this beautiful matured meat underneath it right. um one of the few places in glasgow that has such a magic cupboard um so if you keep seeing these chefs on youtube and folk talking about dry aged steaks you want to dry one out that's your place to go and get one um yeah. they're in king's park and in brigton and they're very very good they're so good in fact they don't need our promotion but there you have it anyway jack yeah. wonderful talking to you mate we'll do it again next week Right, guys, cheers for tuning in. Bye.